John 15 is the, the third chapter in the discourse in the upper room. And that's been what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. We're close to Jesus in the upper room. So this is the night before the crucifixion. And Jesus has shared some difficult things with the disciples previously. He shared some encouraging things. And he shared some things about himself. So he told them, he foreshadowed the cross. Before that, he dismissed Judas. It was known that, that, that um, the disciples didn't realize it, but Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And he sent Judas out. He also told Peter that, Peter, you'll deny me. So there were some difficult conversations. But then he encouraged them when he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he told them about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come. And then he explained to them a little bit about how he, who he was, that he and his father were one. So there's some really powerful and important truths that are in these chapters. Now today we come to what's probably a pretty familiar story for many of us if we've been in church for a little while. If not, that's okay. This will be a good introduction to it. And I want you to notice verse number one. It says in John 15, in verse number one, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And in just a few minutes... In this conversation, he's going to say to the disciples, he's going to say, I am the vine, and you are the... No, you know it. All right. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Has anybody, did anybody sing that song when they were a kid? How many of you even know what I'm talking about? He is the vine, and we are the branches. Okay, Adam, come here. Come here really quick. Adam did a great job leading the, the, the service today. Aaron is on vacation, and thanks to Adam for stepping up, but... The song, how many of you have never heard, He is the Vine, and we, who's never heard this before? There's a fair number of people in here. It's a, this, is a, this is a classic of Christian hymnody. I mean, you've got, holy, 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 great is thy faithfulness, you know, He is the Vine and we are the branches. And it goes something like this, for he is the vine and we are the branches, his banner over me is love. That's right. I think they know it. Do you know it? Here he goes, for, you need to see it one more time. Go ahead, one more time. For he is the vine and we are the branches, his banner over me is love. The branch? Is that what that was? That's a branch. The branch? All right. Good job, Adam. Thank you very much. We've all learned a lot this morning. This is now you're not going to forget that. Right. And there's a truth to this. There's a truth to this passage that is really what Jesus is giving the disciples is the key to going deeper into your discipleship with Jesus. The disciples have spent three years following Jesus. They've they eat with him. They travel with him. They go to sleep in the same places. They take the same journey. They've been in boats with him. They've been on walks with him. They've been all over with Jesus. But Jesus is about to leave. It would seem as if the discipleship journey is over, but it's really just about to begin. 
And he's going to explain to them that I'm the vine and you're the branches. Now, this, this is important because at some point in your Christian life, you will face frustration or failure. Have you ever been there? So I've known people, in fact, I heard someone about someone recently who had, had, had recently come to the Lord and they made this uh, a big step of faith and it's really been just a short period of time and they said, you know what, I just feel like I'm just not making any progress or I just feel like I'm stuck or maybe you've walked with the Lord for a long time and you're just like, oh, I, I'm, just, I'm just stuck at this point. Well, the, the scripture here, this passage gives us what the key is, what the key is to a fruitful, abundant life of following Jesus. We're going to look at it, and I hope, that you'll, I hope that you'll follow along with me today. Now, with that being said, let's read a little bit further, and you'll get a little bit of the, the context. And then I'll come back to verse number one. Oh, and I will say this. For those of you who were here Wednesday night, we spoke about the first section of this passage on Wednesday. And so, if you weren't here and you, you missed it, because we've been doing this series both on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. So, I'm going to move a little bit faster in this first section because we already covered it this past Wednesday night. Um, and if you're like, hey, I want to be part of that, you can go back and listen to the, listen to the discussion. It's um, on YouTube or on our Facebook page. But we spent some time really working through this, and so I'm going to give you the highlights of it this morning and then move on to a little bit of new material at the end of the, of the section. But in verse number one, we saw already, it says, Jesus says, I am the, now I want you to notice, this is really important, I am the what? Not just the vine, but the true vine. Now this is an important point. He doesn't just say he's a vine, he says, I am the true vine. And this is the first thing I want to point out to you this morning. When Jesus said he is the true vine, that would, that would cause us to believe that there could be a, maybe a false vine. And surely there are false vines. Now, in the context of the scripture, and we spoke quite a bit about this on Wednesday night, but in the context here, if you were one of the disciples and you had grown up in synagogue, and you had studied the Torah, and you studied the prophets, you knew your Old Testament, when Jesus said the vine, do you know what you would be thinking of? That statement, the vine. You would most likely, almost certainly, be thinking of the nation of Israel. You say, wow, how do you know? Well, I'm, we're not going to turn to them, but if you look on your notes this morning, I gave you a long list of references. You see here, Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 6, Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 19, Hosea 10, and Hosea 14. A whole list of references in the Old Testament where Israel is referred to as a vine. Now, what is Jesus saying? What he's saying in verse number one, I am the true vine. He's saying this, if you'll allow me to to just wrap it all down to this. Up until now, up until now, Peter, James, John, your primary identity, if we said, how would you define yourself? Those men would say, well, we are Israelites. That was, that was their ultimate identity. We think about today, the day and age in which we live and how we have like national pride maybe, you're, maybe you're patriotic and you view yourself as an American or you, you have some identity marker like that. Well, it is nothing in comparison to how they felt about their national 
ethnic identity. To them, who they were was Israelites. And so for Jesus to say, I, you know all those prophecies about the vine and, and, and Israel? Jesus says, I'm the vine. Root yourself in me. Be connected to me. This is what was so upsetting about the Christian message and has always been so upsetting about the Christian message. Because the Pharisees could not accept the fact that Jesus was saying that he was, was fulfilling everything that had been in the past. That it was not enough. They could no longer, that their whole Jewish identity was not what it was about. Jesus says that God so loved not Israel, but for God so loved who? The world. And that now their primary identity would not be that we are Israelites. But he says if you're going to be a disciple, it starts with understanding that you are connected at, your, at the very soul level, at the core of your being. You are connected to me, Jesus says. I am the true vine. And for the disciples, this is going to take on real significance over the next few hours and days with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this would be the dividing line for everyone else. The persecution would ramp up against the church because in every single culture, in every single culture where Jesus has been brought, in every single place where Jesus has come, the message has not been, the message has not been, hey, you, uh, you have this idea, you have this philosophy, you have this belief system, okay, just add a little bit of Jesus to it. That's never been the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus has been, no, I am the ultimate truth, I am the ultimate reality, and there is no one and nothing else to build your life on but me. Jesus said, I am not a vine, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. And that's where Christianity starts. We live in a day of identity, don't we? It's a big buzzword. Identity, identity, identity. And people talk about racial identity and ethnic identity. And people talk about, sadly, political identity. Or people speak about their, their um, sexual identity or their gender identity. We live in an identity, in a day of ultimate identity. You can say, I am this, I am this, I am this. And Jesus says, none of those things are a secure place to center your being and your essence. Jesus says, only in me. And when we think about the vine, we're thinking about that source of life. We're thinking about all of the branches and all of the fruit is produced from being centered and connected to that vine. And Jesus is the true vine. He is your ultimate identity. And if you haven't found that yet in your life, if you haven't received Christ in that way, I'd encourage you to cast off all of the preconceptions of what the world has told you, how to find your sense of self, all of what your family may have told you, all of what religion has told you, and look to Jesus. Jesus says, it's in me. I am the true vine. So that's number one, is we understand the true vine. Replace whatever else we've held on to with Christ. But now he says this, to those of you, he, he talks about a purging and a pruning process in verses two and three. Now, he says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, what does he do? You with me in verse number two? Every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? 
purges it, that it would bring forth what? More fruit. So when you look at the vine, and this would be, in, and we believe that this talk was given as they walked to the Mount of Olives, and they're likely standing by a vineyard, and as you would see the, that vine of the grape grow up, and you'd see the branches come off of it, there would be branches that bore fruit, and then there'd be dead branches. How many of you ever done a little pruning in your life before somewhere? I had to, because of this storm that we had back in March, I had to have so much pruning done at my house. I mean, I had a guy there with a, like, with a bucket truck yesterday cutting limbs. I mean, it's just a mess. Why? Because there were a lot of dead branches or soon to be dead branches that would make a mess. And what do you do with the dead branches? You cut them off, you chip them up, or you burn them, whatever you're going to do with them. Now, Jesus says here that when you look at the vine, when you look at Christ, when you look at the, the, who Jesus is, you're going to see branches. You're going to see people that are attached to this vine or seemingly attached to the vine. Now, how do you know if the vine has, how do you know if the branch is truly connected in a meaningful way to the vine? How do you know? It's going to bear fruit. You're going to see foliage produced and you're going to see then flowers come. Then you're going to see fruit produced from that vine. But if you see absolutely nothing on that branch, you know it, that it is not connected to the vine. So he says, my father is the husbandman, he says. So every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. Now, in the context of what has just happened within a few minutes of Jesus saying this, a branch had just been taken away from the vine. You say, what do you mean? A How many of you know what I mean when I say a branch had just been taken? What am I who am I referring to? Judas. Judas, now they don't know it yet, but this is part of this whole discussion. Judas was a dead branch. He was not truly connected to the living vine. In the same way, Jesus, is gonna, Jesus says this, there will always be, as long as the message of Jesus is preached in the world, there will always be people connected in a superficial but dead way. There's no true spiritual life there. And how can you tell? Bearing fruit. But I should ask this question, though. Who is the one who makes the determination? It's the husbandman. It's the vine dresser. Who's the one who makes the determination if this is a living branch or a dead branch? It's not us. We're not, I've known Christians that are like that that say, oh, well, I don't see much fruit over there. Well, who appointed you chief fruit inspector? Show me your badge. It's the Father who knows. In fact, think of it this way. If you were from the outside, if you were judging who was the true branches, the disciples, they never would have guessed Judas. They never knew what was going on because Judas even, he actually, did he look like a fruitless branch? He served faithfully. He followed everywhere. He was the treasurer. He was in charge of the money. When they were sent out, he did some of the preaching and he did some, he even did some miracles, which shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said at the last day, some will say, oh, we did all these wonderful things in your name. And Jesus will say what? Depart from me, I never knew you. 
there's a, we are only connected to the vine through a true faith in Jesus Christ. You see, otherwise we can produce our own fruit like Judas did, but the Father knows who has truly put their faith in Christ, who remains, who abides in Christ. And so now what the Father does is the Father does a purging and a pruning process. He comes through. And first of all, verse number two, if the branch is, is dead, he takes it out. There's no fruit. This is a, and, and, but then every branch that is bearing fruit, what does he do? Well, it's the pruning process. It's the purging process. Now, we learn a few things here. Number one, if you're a Christian, when it comes to purging and God's pruning, be encouraged. God's pruning process is never complete. It's never finished. Sometimes pain may even be present in our Christian life as we grow. And then remember this. People, branches, are not all at the same stage of growth. Not everybody's at, at the same stage of growth. But what is the goal? What is the goal of the Father? What is the goal of the of the, the purging. He says in verse number, at the end of verse number two, he purges it that it will bring forth what? More fruit. More fruit. And then he makes a promise in verse number three. This is really cool. Look at verse number three. Now ye, speaking to the disciples who are gathered there, that's the plural pronoun. When he says ye or you there, it's a, in the Greek it's plural. So he's referring to the whole gathered group of the disciples with him. And he says, now you all are what? Clean. Do you remember back in the foot washing message a few weeks ago? Same truth, same statement was made. For us, this is a few weeks ago when we saw it in chapter 13. But for the disciples, it's like an hour and a half ago or something. So this idea of you're clean is a promise. Why? Because a branch had just been purged. Judas is not there any longer. And now he says, hey, there's going to be false branches. There's going to be those that are not truly connected. But then he looks at them and he encourages them. He says, hey, but, but you, you're clean. He gives them that encouragement that they truly belong to him, that nothing can separate them from him. And then we come to the third section, which is this teaching of Jesus on their abiding. And, and what he says is verse number four. Look at verse number four. Abide in me, and I in you. That word abide, it's the, it means a place to live, or a place to stay. It's the place where we remain. And he says, you, you live here. Your life is, is in this place. You abide in me, and I in you. As the branch, what's it say? As the branch cannot it's impossible. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Remember the song now? I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. 
If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. But if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. He says this is what discipleship is all about. What does a branch do on its own? The answer is nothing. I've got, you can come on over to my house anytime you want. Just give me a, send me a text, say you're on your way, and I'll show you the piles of branches. And as you look at those piles of branches, they've been cut off from the, from the trunk. They've been cut off from the root system. I can do anything I want to those branches. I could get my pruners out, and I could prune the branches and cut everything off them. I could make them really nice. I could, I could set them up in the ground and put it on display. I could decorate it. But what will never, ever happen on that branch is it will never what? It's never going to fruit. It, it has to be connected to the vine. This is the, the, the message of the Christian life. It is that our Christian experience, the fruit. You say, well, what is the fruit anyway? What does it mean that we're going to bear fruit? Well, there's all kinds of possibilities for fruitfulness in the Christian life. It's basically every good thing that happens in, that is a result of your life. In Galatians, we learn about the fruit of the Spirit, like a, a loving and gentle way that we deal with other people and relate to other people. We've learned about the, in the, the Bible tells us that a fruitful Christian is someone who influences others. They're all areas. As you think of fruit, the best way to understand it is anything good that comes through your life. Anything good that comes through your life if it's going to be meaningful and it's going to last for eternity, it has to be produced by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm struggling with, uh, with a temptation. I'm struggling with a sin in my life. I want to have victory over it. The victory only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and yielding that to him and saying, Jesus, I am powerless to get victory. I am powerless to bear this fruit of holiness. I'm totally powerless. I need your strength and your grace. You say, well, that just sounds like too simple. Well, it's simple, but it's not easy because it requires a humble heart and a dependent heart. In a, in a repentant heart that says, I am inadequate. I need you and your power. After all, that's how we become Christians, isn't it? We become Christians by faith alone, and we produce fruit in our lives by faith alone. He says, this is how, this is how it works. You see, it is our life in Christ that results in our actions for Christ but not the other way around. Remember, there are plenty of false branches that can accomplish a lot of good things on their own. Judas is the ultimate example in this passage. He accomplished a lot on his own, and from the outside it looked good, but how much of what he did, how many of the, if I can borrow an expression, how many of the churchy things that Judas did ever mattered in eternity? None. 
we can produce a certain outward manifestation in our lives or certain outward behaviors. But the question is, what is God doing in your life? What is Christ accomplishing in us and through us? You see, the true believers, I think there's an interesting point here. And you look at verse number 6, and I, I think this is really significant. I want you to see verse 6 and verse 7 and the difference in the grammar. If a man abide not in me, that word man is what is mankind, like a person, if anyone. If a man abides not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. So that's the negative statement. But now look at verse 7 in the positive statement. But if ye abide in me. Did anybody catch the difference between the negative statement and the positive statement in verse 6 and 7? Look at it again. Look at verse number 6. Back to verse number 6, kid. If a man abides not in me, verse 7, but if ye abide in me, what's the difference? Okay. He's speaking in verse 6, generally speaking. Oh, if, if hypothetically... If anybody were to not abide in me, back in verse number 6, for, for a, a general principle here, if there's anyone who's not abiding in me, he's cast forth as a branch. But now he comes and he, he speaks specifically to his disciples in verse 7. If ye abide in me. Interestingly enough, he never applies the negative to them personally. And why do you think that is? Because they are in the vine. And if you are in the vine, if you are truly connected to the vine, is there anything that can separate you from the vine? No, Jesus said in John chapter 10, my father gives them to me. He's greater than I and no man can pluck them out of my hand. There are some people that will use this passage to say, oh, look at this. You better keep yourself connected to the vine. You better stay there. You better, you better not. And, and they teach that you could lose your salvation or fall away. Jesus never applies the negative to the true disciples. Why? Because the if here is not con contingent on us. If you compare this with all the other scriptures that teach that we are secure in Christ, that it's he who keeps us. The if is not contingent on us, except for the fact is have we truly believed in Christ? If we've truly believed in Christ, we enter into that abiding relationship with him. and We are secure in Christ. But will we always be as fruitful as we could be? No. That's why it said at the beginning, every branch that is in me, what does the Father do? He picks up the pruning shears. And he goes to work. Verse number eight, for what end? To what purpose? Verse number eight, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Much fruit because, could you allow me to paraphrase the ending here? Because that's what discipleship is all about. That's what following Jesus is all about. It's about fruit in our lives. And you say, boy, I just feel like I'm going through a difficult time. Why is God allowing me to go through this right now? Can I tell you why? And I'm not saying this makes it easy, and I don't say this glibly, 
But do you know why God is allowing you to go through what you're going through? Because he's trying to, in your life, he's working, he's going to accomplish what? Fruitfulness. He wants to, he wants to see fruit produced in our lives. In fact, we know this from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his promise. God's desire in our life is to bear much fruit. Now, what happens, though, does anybody know the biggest, it, let's go to some arborist terminology here. Let's go, to the, let's go out to the orchard or the vineyard for a minute. What is the number one thing that prevents branches from being fruitful? There's a word for some of these things. It starts with an S. You didn't even want to say it out loud. You're like, are you thinking of, it? what is the word? Suckers. There's suckers on the branches. And what a, what a great word for what they do. Because these are ancillary shoots that come off the main stem of our branch. Remember Adam's little thing here, you know? There's some, some suckers out there. And in a branch, in a, in a healthy branch that's connected to the tree or connected to the vine, what happens is these little shoots come off. Now these shoots are not, now I have apple trees. There's suckers and then there's fruiting spurs. You all feel educated a little bit about uh, uh, pruning now. Now, the fruiting spurs, that's where, you guessed it, the fruit comes from. But all these little branches that come off are the suckers. Why do you think they're called that? Because what do they do? They suck the life. They suck the nutrients. Do they kill the branch? Nope. But they steal all, now I'm totally out of technical terminology, so used it all up. They suck all the good stuff out of, the, out of that branch to rob from the fruit production. How many of you think there's probably some suckers in your life right now? And in my life right now, right? There's some things in our lives that we have allowed. It doesn't mean, listen, you, may, we're, you say, boy, you know what? I just don't feel very fruitful in my Christian experience right now. Well, let me ask. Let, let's ask the question. What are the things that are just sucking the life out of your Christian? Hey, they could be things like, like pride. They could be things like lust. They could be things like, uh, like overspending. They could be things like attitudes. All these things in our lives. And what is the Father's goal to do in our life? He wants to come into our lives and he wants to prune all those things out. Why? So that we can have no fun and no joy? No. So that our lives will be what? Fruitful. Fruitful. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Can I tell you something? Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. You're like, Ethan, I, I'm a Christian. I'm connected to the vine. I'm connected to Jesus in a real and a meaningful way. I've put my faith in Christ. I am connected to him. I'm sure of it. Well, praise God. But maybe you'd say this, but you know what? God's been convicting me in my life. Like, I'm, I know that this area, this relationship is wrong. I know that this behavior is wrong. I know that this way I entertain myself, it's wrong. Listen, let God just cut it out of your life. You say, oh, but that seems so hard. 
you don't understand how fruitful you will be once God, you let God cut that out and remove those things. This is God's process. And can I ask you this question too? Are you, would you describe your Christian life today as more fruitful or less fruitful than this time last year? Would you, would you say, looking back over the course of this year, right now, I would say God is producing more in my, even more in my life than he was a year ago. Some of you might say, you know what, I've been, I've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15 years, and if I'm honest, there were times in my life in the past where I was more fruitful in my walk with God. So what's the answer? Well, the answer isn't start doing this and start doing that and produce this, produce that. The answer is, is just a quiet place getting back and saying, Jesus, first of all, I desire your fruit in my life. Prune whatever is necessary. Take out whatever has distracted me and accomplish your purpose in my life. By the way, this is a lesson that we never really get past in our Christian life, ever. Each of us, even if you'd say, you know what, I am more fruitful than I was last year, I'll guarantee you there is some area that God is still working in your life. Just let him, yield to him. And what is the point of all this? The point is this, and I want you to see how the passage finishes. The point is this, Jesus says, this life of abiding is not about a life of, of drudgery and meaningless obedience, but it's a life of love, joy, and friendship. Look what he says in verse number nine. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If, ye if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You understand that obedience here is what he's speaking to, and that's part of the pruning process. We're going to have to be obedient if God's going to do this. We're going to let God do this work in our hearts. But do you see here the purpose of obedience or the, the, the motivation behind obedience is what? It's love. He says, obey out of a heart of love. Why? Jesus says, because I love you. There's a, sometimes we, we, we say to our kids, when our kids say that, that wonderful three-letter response, well, why? And the typical historical response is, because I said so. But what a, more powerful, what a more powerful response if we could get to the point in our relationship, would you do this because I love you? That's what God says. Our obedience to God is not a because I said so obedience, or it's not just, it's not just because he said so, though that's sufficient, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But he gave us even more. He said it's not just because I said so, but it's because I love so. Abide in this love. These things have I spoken to you, but it's not just love. Verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might be full. You see, God's purging and pruning process for those of us that abide in him 
The purpose of our obedience to him is so that we can experience love. It sounds, it sounds cliche, but the fact is, love is what all people are looking for. Ultimately, everyone desires and longs to be unconditionally loved. And Jesus says, I have unconditionally loved you, and now I'm giving you a path to experience my unconditional love. People, these are the basic, basic, Jesus speaks now to the basic desires and longing of the human heart. He says, I, I, I want you to experience my love, but then I want you to have joy. And not just a temporary joy. Not just a, not just a yeah, my team won kind of a joy. Not just a, what a fun day, what a beautiful day, or what a great adventure we were on kind of momentary joy. But he says, I want to give you a happiness that never goes away. It is a full, complete joy. This is what we are supposed to be experiencing in our walk with Christ. This is life in the vine. And this is what Judas could never really understand. He never truly understood what real, though he was loved, he never received that love. And in fact, there's another powerful word here. It's not just love and not just joy, but he says this. Verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now that verse right there is going to be displayed in just a few hours. Just a few hours Jesus would display himself laying down his life for his friends. But now he says in verse number 14, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. You want to show your friendship to me? Obedience to me. And now verse 15. Henceforth, from now on, Jesus says, I have an announcement to make. From now on, I'm not going to call you what? I'm not going to call you servants anymore. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus says to them, you are my friends. Love, joy, friendship. This is all part of the fruitful life that comes from abiding in Christ. See, if you're a Christian, you are connected to the vine. But there is a purging process. There is a purifying process in our lives. And Jesus says, it's for our good. It's for our blessing. Verse 16, after all, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And these things I command you, that ye love one another. We could have added one to this. Love, joy, friendship, answered prayer. 
personal relationship with Christ. And so again, again, as the, the theme that comes around and around and around again in the Scriptures, is this. It's that our walk with God is not ultimately dependent on us. It's dependent on our willingness to yield to Him, to trust Him, to let Him accomplish in our lives. And again, you say, well, that sounds too easy. Is it really, though? Because it would be a lot easier for me to say this. Well, let me give you the three steps. Let me give you the three steps to being a good disciple of Jesus. That would actually be easier. And that's what a lot of religions have done. They'd say, okay, well, step number one is, you know, read one chapter a day. Quote four prayers before lunch. And give this many dollars. That's the basic, I just made that up, like a new religion, right? So I just made it up on the spot. But that's essentially what our default is to. No, just give me a couple simple things I can do. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's about. It's about dependence. It's about faith. It's about reliance. It's about trust. It can't get any easier than, it can't get any simpler than faith in Christ alone but just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy. Because if you're like me, when I wake up in the morning, I tend to be more focused on what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, who I want to be. When Jesus says, without me, in this passage, without me, you can do what? Nothing. In fact, I didn't have it, but the, the verse that we did before the song back there, Galatians 2.20, let's put that on the screen. Because this, again, this comes up later in the New Testament. It's the same principle as the abiding, right? Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Do you remember the beginning of the message? I am the true vine. Your old vine is gone. I am the true, I am my old life, my old identity is gone. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But is it really me that's living? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith. The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we wrap up this morning, just look at your life. What how would you describe the condition of the fruitfulness of your life? If, you're, if you say, you know what, I know that I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior, if there's an area that you can think of where he's pruning, he's purging, yield to him. Let him have control. But maybe you're here today, and you know in your heart of hearts, you know inside that you are not truly connected to Christ. On the outside, it might look good. On the outside, you might do religious things and you might behave a certain way. But you know you're living a life. How do you say, well, how do you know? Maybe you're here and you're worried. Maybe you're like, and I should take a minute on this. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, well, I don't know. 
What, what if I'm not truly, what if I just think I am? What if I'm not really rooted in Christ? What if I'm not really part of the vine? What if I'm a Judas and I, didn't, and I don't even know it? Well, well, let me encourage you for a minute. There's one way to know if you're connected to the vine. And the question is this, who are you trusting for your soul with? If you're trusting yourself, then you're just a branch that's not connected. But you might not be perfect. You might not be the most fruitful. But if in your heart of hearts you say, you know what? I'm not everything I should be, but I sincerely have trusted my soul to Christ. That's how you know. That's where you have the confidence. But I don't want to assume that everybody in here has that. Maybe you'd say, you know what? I've never really, I've, it's always been about me and what I can do and how I can do, accomplish. You need to get to the point where you repent of that. And you say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I can't be a Christian on my own. So I repent of that and I give myself completely to you. I trust you and you alone. And when that happens, you can know for sure that you're connected to the vine, that you're connected to Christ. So let's do what we always do. Let's bow our heads for a time of prayer. And as we come to this point of decision, let's each of us examine our own hearts. First of all, are you sure? Has there been a time in your life where you've put all of your trust, all of your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone? You say, boy, Ethan, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Well, right now, wherever you're at, in this room or listening, simply in your heart, pray something like this. Say, dear God, I do trust in Jesus as my Savior. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And I put all my faith and all my trust in him and him alone. I trust him to save me and not myself. Would you pray something like that? It's not the words, there's no perfect words. It's really the prayer of a heart that says, yes, I'm trusting Christ. But if you are in here and say, well, Ethan, I have already done that. I've already trusted Jesus as my Savior. What is, what, what is God trying to prune and purge in your life? Maybe right where you sit, you'd say, you know what? I know what it is. Well, right now, confess that to him. In this quiet moment, say, Lord, I'm going to let this go. Just name it right now. In your heart, name it specifically. I had to do this recently. We were actually having our communion service a couple of weeks ago, and I'm preparing to receive the communion, and God spoke to my heart about something. I said, you know what? I need to let this go. I need to confess this to you. I need to surrender this to you. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I know what it is. There's something that God is trying to prune and purge in my life. I know what it is. Name it right now and trust, trust it to the Lord. Deliver it to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're so loving and so patient with us. We thank you that we can trust you. I pray that you'd make us each more fruitful pray that you would do the work in each individual heart that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. 
and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.